to the Homestead Connection Podcast. Brenna and I are so excited to be talking about preparedness and prepping today and how we can go and look from being more self-sufficient within our homes to being prepared in a long-term setting. And we're really excited to have Allison from At This Prepared Life over on Instagram join us in the conversation. Allison has so much wealth of knowledge when it comes to prepping and being prepared. And we're really excited to learn from you, Allison, and to hear what you have to share with us. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I have followed you on Instagram for I think six or seven months now, I ended up finding you through YouTube actually, because I was watch different homesteaders on YouTube, just fun daily vlogs or sometimes educational things. If I've got questions, we, and so anyways, you came up as a suggested video on YouTube with your, um, your video was, I think it was like 150 items that aren't Mm -hmm. food items that can be prepared. Like you can prep. And uh, that's what I ended up finding you through on YouTube. And you were like, oh, you can follow me on Instagram and other things. So I've been following you on Instagram since then. But I loved that video so much and then like binge watched a bunch of your other stuff. That was a fun one. Yeah, that actually came from an Instagram post. And uh, it was all the comments just kind of went nuts. And everyone shared just so many great ideas. I had to compile it all together. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Some of the stuff I went through and was like, okay, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. But there was other, you know, like medications. There were some things like mm-hmm. oh, medications or um, toiletry items, some paper goods that, of course, you know, I kind of keep tucked away. But there was other things that were less common. And I was like, oh, that's a really good way of thinking. Even like the children's clothing. I was like, well, yeah, I, I have like the next season of clothes. I never thought mm-hmm. of that as being prepared. But in reality, it's. Yes, it is. And so that was, it was just a nice and helpful uh, YouTube video. I enjoyed it. Awesome. I'm glad. Good. How did you get started? So I know you guys homestead. How did you guys get started like homesteading and like prepping and being more prepared? What was kind of that catalyst for you guys? We actually started homesteading before we started prepping. And so we have been Mm -hmm over 15 years I'm trying to do math with based on what age my kid was and she was sick when my husband graduated from college so she's 22 now do the math um so over 15 years ago and it really started with I'm gonna get some chicken and then asking my landlord hey can I you know dig up this 10 by 10 plot in our backyard um And over the years, it was really adding skills and developing all of that homestead knowledge. And Mm -hmm. how can I be more self-sufficient? How can I provide better food for my children than, you know, what is available in the grocery store? And then several years ago, my husband asked me, he's like, can you, you know, do some research on prepping? And my brain immediately went to, oh my gosh, bunkers and gas masks and Right, just the the <laughs> society view, you know, what's that show? Yep. Doom, doomsday preppers or something like that. That is what my brain went to, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is he reading? Or thought he was nuts, <laughs> but so I was like, yeah, I'll look into it a bit, a little begrudgingly. But as I started reading and researching, yes, there is this like very far extreme camp 
And I totally donned my tinfoil hat as much as anybody. But there are everyday things that happen in our lives that we should be prepared for. And that made a lot of sense to me. And Mm -hmm. because we were already homesteading, I really felt like we were halfway there in this prepping process. And so I bumped that up a level and we started doing more long-term food storage and water preps. And we didn't have water preps before he asked me that. And when I started researching, I was like, oh my gosh, if we had an emergency, we have a well, we didn't have a generator, we would have no water. So Mm -hmm. it's realistic everyday scenarios that really made my brain go, yeah, this is a good idea. I feel like that's exactly where I'm at right now, like where our family is at, where we have this nice little self-sufficient homestead and we have things like, okay, we have a well, we need a generator. I have, you know, a nice little pantry full of food and all my canned stuff. I do a lot of canning. But when it comes to more like that long-term <laughs> items to have on mm-hmm. hand, things to reach for, emergency preparedness, like water preps. That isn't like we haven't gone there yet. And so, but it, I, your account, like your the information you provide is some of the stuff that's like, okay, this is what I need to be focusing on. So now we're in this change of seasons where I've been spending so much time outside and so much in the garden and hustling to prepare all the things that we're bringing in and harvesting this fall and winter. I'm excited to really make an effort to do a lot of this long-term next level preparedness. We're so far there already. What's the next phase or whatever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that in our house, just with how life works, I also don't do a ton of food storage or heavy prepping stuff in the spring and summer because I'm Mm -hmm. too busy. They garden, animals, and kids, you know, you add all that in, it just doesn't leave a lot of time. So I think sometimes people have this misconception that I am spending every single moment of my day putting food in mylar bags, but I am so not. Like, it's (laughs) It is really seasonal (laughs) and I do in the fall and winter. And that is when I do like my biggest bulk purchases for, you know, what I call my long-term layer and stuff like that. But yeah, fall and winter is a great time to jump into that because we're cozy in our houses and it's a great Mm -hmm. thing to do. I feel like prepping ties in really well with living seasonally. Yeah. You know, we're coming into this, you know, the fall harvest and we're coming into a time of things kind of slowing down and getting colder. And so you do naturally, I just think from like our, what is it, you know, from our natural rhythm that we, um, we start to think about storing things. Um, coming from Florida, we've always prepped water because one of the first things that happens in a, in a, a hurricane is, you know, oftentimes the, the way that the water infrastructure flows breaks. And so I grew up filling up the bathtubs with water before a hurricane, you know, just to just to make sure that you had water to flush with or water to wash your hands with. And then you had your pot- your potable water, potable water, however as you say that, uh, you know, for things like cooking. Um, so water for me was never really like much of a, a thought, but food was, believe it or not, because, you know, we just always had stuff growing. And so we never really thought about it with the warm winters that we might want to start prepping so it's interesting how depending on where you are yeah in the country or you know in the hemispheres like what is going to be your biggest draw and what isn't yeah absolutely 
how did you guys get started prepping or where would you recommend people start prepping? So um, like for a 101 situation, prepping 101, and I, I do want to talk more about, I think you mentioned like a long-term layer. I love that term, but I want to talk a little bit about some of like more obscure areas of prepping when it, when it comes to just getting started, being more prepared and, and getting in the headspace of wanting to prep. Where do you recommend or where do you find people typically start? I find that people typically start where they shouldn't and they, they, their brains go to things like generators and communication and those types of situations and things to buy. When in reality, if you don't have any water, you're going to die. You're going to die. You can go three days without water. So I always say, forget all that other stuff and start with water. Mm -hmm. Start with food and not just I have food. Do I have what I need to cook that food and prepare that food? Because it's good and well to have 50 pounds of beans in your basement. But if you have never rehydrated beans, you don't have water to rehydrate the beans and you don't know how to cook the beans, then they're useless. So it it, sure. it really is skills and stuff. And then community is another piece that I always tell people they need to do. But start with water, start with food, start with shelter and the basic needs of your family, and then branch out from mm -hmm. there. Because there are a lot of sure. just basic layers in prepping. But if you don't have those very core needs of your family, then things are not going to be pleasant. Sanitation. How are you, how's your family going to use the bathroom? You know, you mentioned having, filling up yeah. your bathtub for water to flush the toilet. Most people don't realize mm -hmm. that is a need. Yeah. Like you're, I can't even imagine how gross one's house would be with no water to flush a toilet, no water to clean mm -hmm. after multiple days. Like you got to think about all those different bodily functions and bodily needs that some of which actually aren't really pleasant to think about like you know who wants to research going to the bathroom but it's part of life you know <laughs> right yeah. a routine part <laughs> of life I like what you said about um the beans because so my husband and I started on our homesteading journey pre-covid and pre-pandemic but that season with you know the lockdowns and just kind of the energy that happened during those years was a huge catalyst for us to kind of really mm -hmm. really lean into our homesteading life and our homesteading journey and it's been the biggest blessing but during that season we went into panic mode for like a, a little while I think a lot of people yeah. went into their own yeah. versions of panic mode but our panic mode looks like buying 50 oh, yeah. pounds of basmati rice from Costco and like all of these different types of beans and lentils and canned meat. And I have figured out how to work our way through them over the last couple of years, which has been fine. But when you said, how are you going to cook these beans if you don't have water? Do you even eat beans? And I'm still going through the same 50 <laughs> pounds of rice. And that's such a good perspective and such solid advice. Because when I think of being prepared and prepping, I think about five gallon buckets of food safe you know fi those five gallon food safe mm -hmm. buckets full of just things and when in reality that isn't the most practical way to approach the situation like and I experienced that firsthand <laughs> so. yeah I, 
I've got a good bean story too. But I'm curious, like, what type of food would you suggest that people start with? Um, so I yeah. always use the Is phrase prep what you eat so you can eat what you prep. And um, so oh. I use a three-layered system in my food storage, the first layer being my kitchen. And that is, and I suggest a mm. month. Like if you can fit a month's worth of food in your kitchen, great. If not, do two weeks. Like what can you fit in your kitchen? Because we all have different kitchens. Um, but sure. that is what's in my k- kitchen cabinets. It's what's in my refrigerator. It's uh, what I have pulled out of the freezer that I'm thawing that we're going to eat, you know, that week or that month. Or if you don't have a freezer, it's, you know, what you've bought at the grocery store it's fresh fruit, it's fresh vegetables, it's yogurt and perishables, things like that. So have one month Mm -hmm. of the items that you're going to eat in your kitchen. Because the majority of people, I can't Mm -hmm. remember what the statistics are, but I think it's like three Mm -hmm. days. It's really small, the amount of like food people have in their kitchen. So bump that up and just slowly over time build that as your first layer. Because if we are planning for most Mm -hmm. likely, most likely is not the zombie apocalypse. Most likely is a hurricane or an earthquake or a wildfire (laughs) or some, a power outage. It's something that is going to impact your life for a day or a week, something like that. So Mm -hmm. if you have a power outage, you're not going into your basement and Mm -hmm. pulling out your three months emergency food kit for your family like that's not realistic so start in your kitchen food water Mm -hmm. how to cook it how to clean up after it and go from there my second layer is what um i call my short-term layer and this is what's in my freezers we buy a whole cow every year we buy a pig we raise our own poultry so it's that year's supply of chicken that we grow, raise, butcher, and freeze. Um, it's mm-hmm. the food I'm canning from my garden or dehydrating. It's those skills and those food preservation methods. Like I don't mm-hmm. can tomato sauce thinking I'm going to keep this for 20 years. I can tomato sauce thinking we're going to be out of this hopefully by the next year. Um, and I, I, some yeah. items I do keep multiple years in my lair, but that's different reasoning. It's because like this year as an example, we took a break. We didn't garden this year at all. And so I'm, I still Not have tomato sauce because I had more than one year in my lair. Um, so that second layer is what I call my grocery store. And I feed my kitchen mm-hmm. with that layer. So if I trying to think if I, we are out of ketchup. And I go get a bottle of ketchup from my short-term layer. I then write that on my grocery list. So I don't really grocery shop uh-huh. from what we've used up in our kitchen other than perishables. I grocery shop from what we have taken from our short-term layer. And I keep a year's worth mm-hmm. of food in our short-term layer. Like that's my goal. Um, and a lot of people get really overwhelmed when I say that, but If you in reality think about, okay, how long does it take my family to go through a bottle of ketchup? For us, we get ketchup at Costco because my kids won't eat organic ketchup or ketchup that I have homemade myself. They say it's disgusting. 
Um, so I buy ketchup at Costco and maybe three months to go through a bottle of ketchup. So for a year, that's four bottles that I I don't have Mm -hmm. 50 bottles of ketchup in my basement. I have a year's worth, which is four bottles. So really breaking that down into a realistic number helps create a Mm -hmm. picture of what a year's worth of food can look like. And a year's worth of food is actually a lot. Like when you start building, you're going to be like, where am I going to put all this? Um, Mm -hmm. Layer three is my long-term layer. And that is um, foods that will last for a considerable amount of time. Like everyone uses these foods will last for 25 years. I don't store food for 25 mm-hmm. years. I do rotate everything through in my kitchen because just because it'll store for 25 years doesn't mean it has the same nutritional value in 25 years. And that is impacted by so many different things. So I rotate depending on what items are between two and 10 years. I like that. And I don't even remember what your question was. And if I answered it, I just rambled. <laughs> No, okay. you're good. no, no, you're good. Yeah. Like, you know, what foods, where do you start? Like, that's so helpful. I think that's such a great perspective to look at things. Like, uh, uh, that's such a great way to break things down and look at it mm-hmm. in a way that feels very palatable and um, in a way that gives structure. It's easy to look at a list of things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you Google being prepared or prepping or prepping 101, you can find these lists online that are so overwhelming or opinions and thoughts that are so overwhelming. And not that they're not of yeah. value because there's a lot of value to so much information shared when it comes to prepping. But the way you broke it down and the way you have your layer system structured puts it in a way that makes it very attainable and palatable for people and in a way that you know, you can work in the short term mm-hmm. and you can slowly work in the long term too. Really, really nice. I've got one more question for you based off of your long term. How many, how many years, if it's years, do you keep in your long term? That varies by person. So people ask me that all the time. And I say the answer is what do you feel comfortable with? Because Someone who does not at all don a tinfoil hat is probably going to feel comfortable with a lot less than I do. I have a crown. It's just not showing yeah. right now. Whole <laughs> tinfoil crown that sits around. So. So I shared um, something to my Instagram stories. It was like last week or the week before. And it was like this funny little meme. And it was a tiara made out of tinfoil. And I was like, oh, that is the best thing ever. (laughs) That's cute. I like that a lot. (laughs) What are areas people commonly overlook when they're prepping? I know you said like, oh, they look to getting their generator first or like, you know, the ham radios or all of these kind of like big expensive items. When in reality, you're like, no, like, look here, look in your home, look at your daily life. But what are areas the people you find commonly are overlooking when they're preparing? They're so focused over here that they're kind of missing these other necessities. Um, I think medical first aid is something that, um, and I don't know if people overlook it as much as it's intimidating. And so people will put it off and put it off. Um, And then... I think communication 
and evacuation, which that one always surprises me because so many people are like in my DM saying, I don't need an evacuation kit at all. And then when I'm talking them through this process, they're realizing, oh, maybe I do. So um, those are a couple areas. Communication, I think, is something that is mm-hmm. super important. Um, and it's also an area that is intimidating to people. Um, it's intimidating to me, and my husband kind of owns it and just kind of teaches me things. Mm-hmm. Um, and fuel. Like, and fuel yeah. storage is hard too, especially if you're like living in a city or, I mean, if you're at a condo or an apartment, you're not going to be able to store a lot of fuel. Um, so yeah, there's so many areas. <laughs> those things can be expensive too, mm-hmm. but like, no, those, I think that's really good. Those things can be expensive. I feel intimidated when I think about communication because of the cost yeah um and the learning barrier but then also um with like fuel we my husband and i talk about especially these last couple of weeks just what does long-term fuel storage Mm -hmm. look like or what could that like we don't have anything stored right now but what could that look like for us and in any quantity it ends up being really expensive and that can be such a barrier for a lot of people you know, if time, you know, space, of course, but financial too yeah. can be such a barrier. But as so, with the medical stuff, that so I work in healthcare. I'm a nurse practitioner full time, and so when I think for me, medical stuff is always like front and center. Yeah, now because it's just where my head space is so much. So first aid kits and suture kits and iodine and all these different lidocaine and all these different things. Our first aid kit looks amazing, but I just, my husband's like, I hope we get to use that someday. <laughs> I was like, I hope we never have to use it, but he's like, it's all the good stuff that'll go to waste. But it's just, I look at it sometimes and I have such pride. Yeah. Well, it's a peace and, of mind that it gives you. It's mm-hmm. an incredible peace of mind. Yeah. Mind, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what you just said about it'll go to waste. I think that is another thing that is really intimidating to a lot of people is because we may not use some of these things in our everyday life or figuring out how to store them and rotate them in a way that they aren't going to waste is really time consuming Mm -hmm. and can sometimes be really difficult so like i mean with Mm -hmm. in as an example with fuel storage it's like you know having a plan for yes you can put an additive in there but also how are you rotating that through so it's not going bad because gas is expensive. I mean, depending yes. depending on where you live, but I think everywhere gas is expensive. Everywhere yes. gas is expensive oh. and I think just more expensive. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's water is another area. And I know we talked a little bit about water, but water is another area that feels very intimidating mm-hmm. because when you look at, the amount of water that the person one person uses on the on, on a daily basis or a weekly basis times that by the number of people in your home, the amount of gallons that's like quote unquote unquote recommended to have on hand becomes pretty astronomical yeah. pretty quickly, and so that's an area where I know that our water situation is like lacking significantly. We have a well and whatever, so it's like oh, in theory we have like this emergency 
you know, whatever for water. But when it comes to actual like usable potable water, that is an area that I feel very overwhelmed with very quickly just because of the quantity mm -hmm. that would be necessary. And then also rotating that through. Yeah, I think water is one of the hardest things to prep for what you just said because of the amount of space that it takes up. Mm -hmm. um, and the larger your family is and the more animals you have, the more you need. So I really try and yeah. look at water from like a layered perspective, just like I do my food storage. And I'm like, okay, what is my initial water source? And as much as I don't like having plastic water bottles and using those, we do prep them. And, you know, we'll mm -hmm. rotate them through when we go on vacations or camping trips or something like that. Sure. But calculating mm -hmm. out, okay, how much water is one case for my family how many days of water is that actually calculate that out and then go okay where else in my house do I have space for water and whether you're using like jugs or water bricks or something like that those I love water bricks and we got water bricks um way back when we lived in southwest Washington and I didn't have a ton of space um because huh. they stack like you can, I think you can get four by four in a stack mm -hmm. of water bricks and yeah they're expensive but in my opinion it was like totally worth the expense because that's a massive amount of water in a very small space um the big barrels I'm no are great i'm not familiar with water bricks they're just they're like, like these little blue it's a brand water brick is a brand there's probably other ones out there and they have a handle and you know it's out and they just stack on each other so um you know, it's kind of like a water jug but they're squared i have those and i have the collapsible ones <laughs> yeah and so i figure the stack is in the corner right and then my collapsible ones are for more like immediate going out and getting water and then purifying that yeah and you know purifying having can you identify a local source of water? Do you have ways to purify or filter that water? Um, you know, you said you have a well. If you have no power and you don't have a backup generator or solar or a hand pump, you don't have any water either. Um, you know, it, it's all of these different little pieces right. that together make up water storage. Um, if you live in the city, you know, getting a Silcock key, which is one of those, like, it's, what is that shape where it's an X? It's like an X with a wrench thing on the end and, you know, it, yeah. it open faucets yeah, 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 yeah. Um, on sides of buildings where they take the faucets off. But then you can, I mean, I don't know how that would work. Mm -hmm. Like, uh -huh. I don't know. I'm trying to picture a person and, the, you know, the world is not ending, yet they're walking up to a building and taking the water out of it. I just don't see that going over very well. Um, but maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I totally see someone going, what are you doing? I don't right. know. Um, all of these pieces yeah. add up together no. and make water storage. Like, as an example for us, we have a hot tub. And that is my cleaning flushing bathing plan i mean we do have a well and we have a generator um but in a power outage um mm -hmm. if for some reason our generator wasn't working and it's the middle of the night 
I'm not running out to the barn to get all of our potable, non-potable water that I've stored out there. I'm just going to open up the hot tub and grab a bucket. Um, yeah. Just got to be creative. But yeah, it is very, very hard. I like hearing, you know, it's all these little pieces that make one big, you know, they kind of make up the big picture, which I think is really good. You know, we do the, the plastic water bottles and stuff like that. I wrote down the water bricks because... Um, we have this area in our basement, like a storage room in our basement. We have space down there. And I want to, like, take up the space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be creative. Like, if you have some weird back corner somewhere that's not really getting used, can you put a bunch of water bricks or stackable water jugs or one of the big, huge drums, you know, like the 55-gallon blue mm-hmm. water drums, those can fit into a very, you know, compact space and store a huge amount of water. You talked a little bit about evacuation kits, or you mentioned how people will say, oh, I don't need that. And I'm one of those people, oh, do I really need that? Mm-hmm. And, in you know, my mind, I'm, no, of course I don't really need that. Um, what does an evacuation kit look like? So I actually, I have a video over on my YouTube where I talk all about my evacuation kits. Um, And then we also did a month where we just really dove deep into evacuation kits in my membership community. But for us, um, I mean, we've all heard the term go bag or 72 hour bag or bug out bag, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, an evacuation kit is, the items my family might want or need in the first 72 hours if we were evacuated from our home. And there's a lot of reasons that could happen. Um, Wildfire, earthquake, gas leak. Um, I mean, if you live in a neighborhood and there's flooding and they're like, you need to get out, what are you going to have with you? Um, And Mm -hmm. so with our evacuation kits, I really plan not from a I'm gonna go bug out into the woods kind of scenario because don't be dumb um but a okay we've been evacuated we're probably going to a hotel a friend's house or a fairground like those are the sure the three and we have predetermined hotels that you know here's these three hotels that we know we're gonna call um as an example of why that is important, um, a couple weeks ago, last month, um, south of where I live in North Idaho, a entire area was evacuated from a wildfire and it was moving very quickly. And a friend called me who is a prepper and she's like, all of the hotels I had predetermined are already full because there was another wildfire that evacuated farther south and all of those people came north. And so she's like, I don't know where to go now. And she thought, Uh I'm good. I've got all of these places lined up. But because it had already, the same situation had already happened an hour south, her resources were no longer available so and she did find something sure but um you know it, it's stuff like that it's different scenarios happen all the time but having food water clothes if you have little kids have some games and some fun go to the dollar store and just get some crafts and some fun stuff because if you evacuate and you end up at a fairground for a couple days you're going to be so bored i find you know, yeah, have yeah. 
stuff that's going to keep them busy. Um, so we have that, what we call our go, go now kit. And I use totes. I don't use bags. We just put stuff in bins. That makes so much sense. You just grab the bin and, yeah. and then go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's smart. And you made it very practical. So evacuation kit, I like the, the term evacuation kit over like bug out bag yeah. or like go bag because it makes it bug out bag makes it feel very like apocalyptic or mm-hmm. whatever. Whereas the scenarios that you described make it all very realistic and of course not, none of us ever want those things to happen yeah but from our family to have a, a tote of the things that we would need if we have to go from like where we are for whatever type of natural disaster evacuation or whatever for a couple of days makes a lot of sense yeah and it's interesting the points you bring up about even having a hotel predetermined or a list of hotels predetermined i don't know brenna loves talking about apocalyptic style prepping and i like i love that i love you brenna um but it's very much like bug out bags something crazy happens i'll go to the swamps of florida versus like for my family (laughs) for my family it's if something happens my husband and our two kids and my mother-in-law will go to where somewhere realistic a hotel or something you know an hour away or wherever it is that feels the most appropriate way to go so that just makes it feel very realistic and very much less like this movie style apocalyptic style evacuation moment i do both so i have yeah i do have bags that are three-day bags they have things to keep you warm things to keep you dry cooking things to eat on the go um they all have first aid kits and everybody carries their own they all have water purification and it is very much that you know it's a sensational term but that apocalyptic kind of thing um and then i also have because it's not uncommon in florida and you know that you do have to leave you have to leave your coastline you need to go in and find a hotel and and move into that hotel to me to me i do both but Prepping for me over the years, because I've done it for so long, is is a game for me. I am trying to figure out if certain scenarios happen, how can I best be prepared and prepare my family? Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, like the 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 occurrence where we're going to need to use the camp kits that I have outside of for fun when we're camping is probably pretty low. But it gives me mm-hmm. a sense of peace to know that I have them so that if, you know, everything were to kind of, you know, be a little bit more chaotic, which we have seen. I mean, you, you, there's been instances where things have gotten very chaotic. And I feel like people, the first thing that goes with a person when things become chaotic is, you know, so being civilized and being friendly. Yeah. Um, and so the ability to move fast to me is is paramount. I'm curious yeah. to hear more about communication because i've bought long range walkie talkies for lack of a better term um but i feel like i'm just so ignorant when it comes to communication and how to make sure that you're still able to communicate you know maybe not all the way back home you know like two thousand miles away but in between each other you know do you how how do you how do you prepare for that we our family, Nate and I have looked a lot at like ham radios or satellite radios are the two things that we've kind of like, we, n- n- neither, neither of them have been purchased, but 
those are the things that we've looked at, but we always end up, yeah, never moving forward with anything out of like this uncertainty, I guess. And that, like I said earlier, that's my husband's area. <laughs> so I can't really give you a ton of information. Um, that's ham radio is definitely something to look into. And um, he is mid process of researching different areas of that. We do have the handheld radios. Um, and I think, I think you can listen, but if you're going to talk on them, you have to have a license. If I'm remembering that correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so we do have those and like check into your local area because our area has a local group that meets and they're super fun and super interesting. And, um, there are most likely groups in your area. And so like when Mm -hmm. he first got his stuff, you know, they helped him set it up and all of that kind of stuff. So check local and i know there are like courses online and stuff like that but i personally haven't taken them sure interesting interesting can we talk a little bit about your third layer and what storing your third layer looks like is that i mean yeah can you just talk about your third layer a little bit more and what that looks like what the food storage looks like how you're storing those foods or how you're preparing those foods for storage is it just all pre-purchased stuff is it things you're buying from the store yeah um and so this layer is the one that is confusing for everybody because people are like well i don't eat that stuff on a regular basis so how am i going to prep what i eat if i don't eat freeze-dried food and sure i always say it's the same food just in a different form so Mm -hmm. like when i look at my kitchen and what we eat on a regular basis and I prep by recipe, not by calorie count or whatever. So I look at, okay, these are things that I eat on a regular basis or my family enjoys. What would be easy to make in an emergency? Um, because really that long-term layer is, one, it's food security. It's being able to buy the things that your family uses when it's on sale and saving money in your budget, but it's also more of what I call my SHTS layer. It's something sure. really bad has happened and yeah. I am not going to be able to go to the grocery store for a while. So, but I also don't want to just buy that layer and let it sit. So yeah. let's pick an example. Um, chicken. In my short-term layer, that chicken is going to look like either chicken I buy from the store or the chicken we raised and it's in our freezer. Like it does, that's chicken. In Mm -hmm. my short-term layer, that's going to look like canned chicken from the store, which looks disgusting and isn't super appetizing, but you find recipes and meals to incorporate it that your family can eat. Like toss it in some soup. They're not even going to know the difference. Long-term, it's freeze-dried. And freeze-dried chicken rehydrates wonderfully in soup. I'm not going to be rehydrating that chicken and trying to roast it and make a roast chicken dinner because that's not how it works. Like you have to find a way to cook it that works for that food ingredient. But in reality, if SHTF happens, I'm not making a big fancy roast chicken dinner anyway right we're too busy for that 
We're spending all day trying to find water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. It, here's a soup we whipped up, and that freeze-dried chicken is going to be perfect in it. But I can rotate it through when needed by making certain meals that I know my family is not really going to notice. So you freeze-dry and mylar bag? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so for dry goods, it's mylar. And for things like fruit, vegetable, well, every, along with everything, I freeze-dry a lot. I have my own freeze-dryer. I was going to ask you dehydrate versus freeze-dry or both. But it's freeze-dryers are just having a moment right now truly because it used to be freeze dryers were some like industrial untouchable situation but there's so much more like functional inside someone's home now and so that was one of the things i wondered about was dehydrator versus freeze dryer or both so it's interesting to hear you say that you freeze dry basically you know everything yeah so dehydrated food okay let's talk about that for a little bit so we have dehydrators we have freeze dryers Mm -hmm. dehydrated food one does lose a lot of nutrient value two the food that we dehydrate at home is very different from the food that is dehydrated commercially for long-term storage we don't have the capabilities that these commercial facilities have to create dehydrated food that is going to last Mm. like that um, like let's so when we dehydrate peaches at home, they're pliable. Yeah. They're done when they're pliable. You can't store food that's pliable in mylar. It's gonna mold because there's still enough moisture in that food. Whereas freeze dried food, I can stick peaches in there, freeze dry those at home, and know they're as long as you've done it properly that they're going to last. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of a difference of. Dehydrated versus freeze-dried. For me personally, like when we, our freeze-dryer was a bucket list item. And for many years before we bought it, because they are really, really expensive. And um, what eventually sold us on buying a freeze-dryer was I did the math. And I was like, okay, for the amount of preparedness we are planning to do, for the number of people we are planning for, this is how much it's going to cost me to buy this much food. Sure. And the cost of a freeze dryer was considerably less. Because as my kids age, you're adding like spouses to the mix and possible grandchildren, hopefully maybe at some point mm-hmm. in the next five years, I'll have a grandbaby. <laughs> um, you know, we are, the number grows yeah. over time. So, um, and one thing I did not expect to happen with freeze drying, and we were talking about this um, in a live chat in my community with some of the other ladies who freeze dry, is we didn't expect it to replace as many of the other food preservation options that we used to do sure. as it has. Um, so, like, I used to dehydrate all of our fruits, and and we loved it, like dehydrated apples and peaches and apricots, all that stuff. It's super delicious. Yeah. But as soon as I started freeze-drying it, my family asked me to only freeze-dry it because it's better. So they just like to uh, eat it freeze-dried, not necessarily rehydrated, but just eat it crunchy. Oh, yeah. It's like a total snack. So now uh, my dehydrator, I am really only using it for herbs and fruit leather. 
and herbs are better in the freeze dryer, but my freeze dryer is always so full. I never get a chance to do my herbs in the freeze dryer. Um, <laughs> so like I, I was kind of surprised at how more it fits into our everyday life because I thought it was a, this is an SHTF prep item. Okay. I'm buying this, you know, for long-term storage, but now in reality, it is really replacing my dehydrator. That's so remarkable. Truly, that's remarkable. And yeah, when you're talking about dehydrated yeah. food, when so I have a, I don't have like a super fancy dehydrator. I have a very like practical utilitarian dehydrator that I do a lot with. But it's only stuff that we're going to use like in the short term, really, or that I might throw downstairs on a shelf to grab next month or something, but never anything that I look at in terms of like a longer term, like longer term. For me, when I'm doing long term stuff, it's just what I'm, I'm, my counter's full of canned goods right now. So like it's all canned stuff because I know, all right, I've got stuff I can put away for a couple of years. I know that's subjective, however long people feel that it's safe to eat their canned mm-hmm. or whatever. But, um, I've always written off a freeze dryer because I'm like, that's not appropriate for our family. I don't think that we'll use that. You know, we don't need something that's going to be that long-term storage. But then hearing you talk like this, you know, seeing different Instagram posts or reels where people are, no, it really is almost an everyday, um, or the freeze-dried food is being incorporated in everyday living is really remarkable and it's such a neat way to really maximize the way that you're preserving the food because i feel like i'm canning peaches i'm canning pears i'm canning tomatoes and i'm losing so much of like Mm -hmm. and peels that i'm taking off mostly because my children are picky and it's just easier for me in the long run to take off the skins but you know we're losing so much of the value whereas dehydrating you get like 100 percent, basically 100 percent of the nutritional value of the food in freeze yeah freeze drying and i haven't like yes thank you like those are all statistics from the companies i haven't actually seen a ton of studies there are a few out there mostly from nasa um just you know astronaut food is freeze-dried food um right about Mm -hmm. you know how true those statistics are so i've looked into some of those but um yeah and it saves space too so like you talk about 20 jars of tomato sauce that you can would fit in one or two jars freeze-dried like it's crazy yeah and that is crazy yeah i think you've convinced me to buy a (laughs) freeze-dryer Breakfast been looking for a reason, and she might have got. I've been wanting one. Oh my gosh! I win. Um, and for me, another like not. I'm like everyone. Go buy a freezer. That's not what this is about. But um, the versatility of it. Like I can't throw leftover soup in my dehydrator. I, you can dehydrate eggs in your dehydrator, but the science out there is iffy on because salmonella is killed at I think 165 degrees but you're dehydrating eggs at a lower temperature because 165 degrees cooks them so Mm -hmm. everyone needs to do the research on their own when it comes to food safety and figure out what are you comfortable with for your family because there's so much information out there but so like for us I personally won't dehydrate eggs in my home dehydrator but freeze drying I can freeze dry eggs when my chickens are laying like crazy and now I don't have to worry about running out of eggs all winter 
um, which is mm-hmm. amazing. So. Yeah. Well, and you're not taking up the space that water glassing does. So yeah. I've got gallon sized jars of water glassed eggs because I'm our chickens are just laying so much right now. So I'm just taking the moment to water glass a bunch. But then that's taking up a lot of storage space to mm-hmm. have, you know, six or eight mm-hmm. gallon sized jars of of water glassed eggs yeah. so just the sheer space that the freeze dryer saves you is nice and mylar bags they're so convenient mm-hmm. just to like store up or whatever or you know stack them yeah. or whatever and for mm-hmm. anything i am freeze drying that we're eating i put it in glass i don't even waste the expense of mylar um i know mylar is not super expensive but it adds up like if you are mylaring a ton of food sure. that adds up into you know a considerable amount of money so if I am putting fruit or soup or eggs that we have freeze dried and I know we're going to use it, I just put it into a jar with an oxygen absorber. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really wise. And then because, yeah, the Mylar bags aren't reusable. I mean, not in the nope. long term anyways. Once yeah. once you've opened it, you need to use it in, in a finite amount of time and then you can't reuse it. So that's, that's wise. And the glass initially, the jars initially – upfront are an investment but it's mm-hmm. an investment it's something that we can use over and over again and they're so multi-purpose yeah. i was talking with someone just a little bit off topic but not quite i was talking with an elderly woman the other day i purchased a set of oil lamps from her like working um and she we were just talking and she thought it was so inspirational the way that my husband and i were trying to live like old-fashioned she called it <laughs> and she told me never let your jars sit empty you always fill them up with water when you're done with them and put them back on the shelf and she you know she was so sweet and wholesome she's like but then you're never wasting and they're always being used and they're always holding something for your family and I thought that was so nice and so true it's like yeah we spent all this money on these jars and of course fill them up but then I just you know then they don't sit around I just thought that was yeah. sweet and actually, if you water bath can water, it'll last indefinitely, like as long as the seal doesn't break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Really, it is remarkable and so simple. So simple. There's a there's a little learning curve when it comes to canning and stuff, but the learning curve is not that high. And the level of practicality is just infinite. Yeah. And talking about, mm-hmm. you know, the older people and canning and the cost of jars. That is a great resource for finding jars because as people age, um, you know, we're not able to do some of the things that Uh we used to do. And so, Uh you know, if you have an elderly woman in your church or a neighbor, ask them, hey, do you have canning jars Uh in your basement? And Uh they probably would be more than happy to give them to someone who's going to use them. And because older people are so excited to share their knowledge. I think anyone in a hobby is super excited to share their knowledge. But I think when older women see younger women doing these skills that they used to do, they are so excited and willing to share. And then you can fill all those jars and give some back and they can have jam because they can't can themselves anymore. It's like a win-win. So I always tell people, ask. You never know what people have, you know, just sitting there gathering dust in their basement. It's true. It's so true. I I had a question about your community. I think you mentioned it, you know, two or three times. And one of the things about this lifestyle, homesteading oftentimes and prepping and just the mindset that we're in is it can be kind of lonely. 
you know, um, you have community through your church. You maybe have, um, you know, a kindred spirit, like for myself, where I live, maybe one or two people, but not really. So can you talk a little bit about your community and what that is and why that is and how that is? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this prepared life community, um, like it's my baby. <laughs> my babies are all grown. So this is my new baby. Um, one of the things that people, you know, women kept saying to me is I don't know anyone near me who thinks these things are cool. Um, and they, they needed a space for that. And I think I'm going to rabbit trail a little bit, but I think as a society, women have been isolated. I think everyone has been isolated, but I think women have moved away from, you know, we used to teach and encourage and spend time with neighbors and now like it's surprising if you even know your neighbor's name um true but narrow that down even farther and knowing someone in real life who values you know preparedness topics or homesteading topics or food preservation all of those things is really rare and so that is just where this prepared life came from a place for education encouragement and support for women who are interested in these things and so we do a new topic every month um what did this month we did egg preservation so it's a bunch of different ways to preserve eggs um you know we've done water preps evacuation kits every month is something new but it's also a space for meeting other people we have live video chats together and a discussion forum and it, it is so much fun to just have all of these women in one place and see them cheering each other on and taking their next step because we all have a next step. And what is it? So, right. Yeah. Would you say there's like kind of a, a diverse um, level of prepper and homesteader in your this prepared life community group, people who are really proficient and have been doing it in a long time and also beginners? Yeah. Um, it, it is a really diverse group of women. Like I have, we have single women all the way to grandmothers with many, many grandchildren. Um, we have people in the city and people who have 20 acres and they probably know more than I do, but you know, they're homesteaders to the core, um, but maybe they are mm -hmm. wanting to learn more about the preparedness piece. So, yeah, there are preppers who want to learn about homesteading and there are homesteaders who want to learn about prepping. And there are people who are just totally at the beginning and want to learn everything that they can. So, yeah, it really is a diverse group of women. Um, and it has been so much fun to do that. So, yeah. I love that. That's so good. So you've got topics that you cover monthly, other resources that you have available for people to like review and watch and read and stuff like that. Okay. Um, right. I think when I, cause I was like, I'm not a part of your like community. It's something that I was, I was actually just talking with my husband about it and Brenna actually recently about it too. Just saying, looking into this fall season as we're wanting, my husband and I are wanting to be intentional about just preparing our home where I, I'm feeling very like pulled to join your community because of being around like-minded people, I think is huge and learning from other people. And then also having access to a lot of the resources that you have available and outlined for people to access and stuff. 
which is great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it is, I think, probably one of my most exciting days of the month, like just behind the scenes, is the day I put it all together. Because I get really excited because some of these ladies have been members from the beginning and I get to know them really well. And I'm like, oh, so-and-so is going to love this or so-and-so is going to love that. Um, And then the live chats are really fun because that isn't me teaching. Like, that is everyone showing up because we all have something to share. Like everyone is an expert or good at something Um, and we all need encouragement. So like last week, my internet was being insane and I couldn't get my sound to work. And so like I could hear, but they couldn't hear me. And so we're having a live video chat and I'm trying to figure it out, but they just (laughs) kept on going and they just had great (laughs) conversations and I'm super bummed. I didn't even get to like, really participate in it for the first like 15 minutes but I was like they had a great chat um so the (laughs) chats aren't about me um and I am available like you know one of the things with the community is I tell people I'm not just throwing information at you and then you're on your own that's what the discussion forum is for like if you have a question ask and one lady had questions about food storage and I was like let's do a live chat so we're doing that next week. We're going to do a live chat. And I actually opened up that live chat to um, the Women Who Prep Conference attendees, too, which um, mm-hmm. I should probably share about because that is something I am yeah, so I'm glad you brought it up. excited about. I really want to hear about this. Like, I want to hear yes. all about it. Me, too. So Women Who Prep Conference is going to be all online April 20th through 24th. And... This actually has been like a dream in the works for probably about three years now. And I wanted to figure out how to make in-person work. But in person, I really thought about, okay, what is the reality of women from across the country being able to take time off from their family, afford an airplane flight, and then stay in a city somewhere? I was like, that's not feasible. So um, online it is. Also, that means I don't have to like buy things like insurance and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> right. So once I worked the idea of I can't do this in person out of my brain, because that would be my ideal, um, mm-hmm. online started forming. And it is going to be four days. And I'm going to run the timing so that whether you are on the East Coast or the West Coast, it's going to work. There's not going to be something at six in the morning or something at nine o'clock at night. Um, sure. It's going to be over 15 speakers on preparedness, homesteading topics. We're going to have some of the ladies are doing hands-on demonstrations where they actually like ahead of time, attendees will get a supply list. And if they want to buy all those supplies, they can, as that person speaks, actually make the thing. Um, One I'm talking about is Millie Copper, who's an author, is going to do one like that on fermenting. So she's going to like walk people through this. Let's ferment food together and then let me answer all your questions. So um, I'm just so excited by the wealth of information and the speakers that are going to be there because there are all women just like us like we all have something to offer and these are women who are really good at what they do and then 
will everything only be live or will it be able to be accessed down the road again later for people to like rewatch or re-listen to? Yeah. So it's going to be a mix of recorded and live sessions. Um, Some people who are speaking live in the boonies. They don't have, they can't do a live session. So there's would be a recorded session, but the sessions are only available once like the schedule releases it. And then if it's a recorded Mm -hmm. session, you have access until July. If it was a live session, it will come down, get edited, and then go back up. And you will again have access through July. So, um, yeah. So you will have April, May, June, almost four months to go back if you missed something. Or if you wanted to watch something again, you can definitely go do that. I that. What a neat concept. I love like this thread that you're talking about how like women as a society have been isolated to a degree, which I agree for agree with you. And it's interesting to hear you bring that perspective and talk about it. And then how it's like you you're building community. Like you're seeing this, yeah. you're building community and you're carrying the community all the way through like educating one another and learning from one another. And then having a whole conference dedicated to like women learning from each other. Another really cool feature is we're going to do, so conference attendees get a community discussion forum, just like I have for this prepared life. And that starts from the day you register. So you can jump in and start talking to people and we're going to have live video chat um, all the way up until April. So um, we have, like I said, the food storage one we're going to do next week. But um, yeah, I am super excited that I really hope women can meet someone near them. Mm-hmm. Like, and and that is a little scary too because it is the internet, and you know you have to be careful what information you put out there online. But if we could all just find one person that we mesh with near us that we can geek out about mylar bags and (laughs) food storage and ham radio or whatever it is i think that would be amazing and registration is open now right yeah yeah registration is open now excellent i'm going to include in the description of this podcast for our listeners the description will have you know, where, where people can follow you, Allison, you know, on Instagram and your website. And then I'll link the women who prep conference as well, because I, I know there's going to be people who are going to be myself included who are really looking forward to the conference and learning from the conference. And, uh, I just think the concept is amazing. And I'm so glad that you did decide to move forward with it in an online fashion. Um, it just makes it way more accessible to like, you know, to any, yeah. Yeah, as much as I really wanted it to be in person, I just, it, it's not feasible. You know, I, I was trying to put myself in an attendee's shoes and I was like, I wouldn't be able to just leave for an entire weekend and leave my family. And it's, yeah, so. Well, where can people find you if they want to continue, like, you know, learning from you and, and experiencing your information and stuff? Like, where's the best place for people to find you online? So the place I am most often is Instagram. And so that's it, this prepared life. And I'm also slowly building my YouTube because there's not enough hours in the day. And that is also this prepared life. 
Um, my website is thispreparedlife.com and that does have links to everything. Um, the community, my Mylar course, the conference is linked there. Um, and all my social medias are there as well. Um, cool. And then women who prep is womenwhoprep.com. So you can go there. There's a list of speakers, the vendors, um, all that kind of, all the good information. Excellent. Thank you. Womenwhoprep.com. So excited to attend same i my, i'm yeah. already i told nate already I was like, i'm going i'm attending it's on the <laughs> yeah it opened on the 12th and we have early bird registration is through the end of the uh december so and then the price will go up after that and there's also gift cards so if husbands you know want to get it for their wives that's something because i do have a very very tiny amount of male followers and i tend to get a lot of messages of why can't I come? And I'm like, well, sorry, because you can't. <laughs> I'm excited to follow you more on Instagram. I love your YouTube channel. I'm really looking forward to the conference. And uh, I just love the hub of resources you have on your website. Oh, I learned so much so, from this conversation. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.